Here we are in a series, Baggage Claim. The idea here is this, okay? The idea is that the church has manifested itself in so many different ways in the last 2,000 years, right? Uh, the, art, the, the numbers are somewhere between uh, 27,000 and uh, 44,000 different denominations of the church. And so in all of this, there's a small kind of a, a, an underlying error inside of each group. The reason that we have all these different groups is because we're all Protestant, which means that we've all started our, our faith learning to protest, and we all believe somehow that we have it right. Okay? If we didn't believe that we have it right, there's no reason that we would have so many different forms of this. Uh, we, don't, we, we don't have different forms of it because we see value in our disagreements. Because uh, who here is a Christian? Who here is kind of grown up in Arkansas? Okay. Have you learned in your experiences that the assembly churches just love the Baptists? And the Baptists just love the Pentecostals? And, and, the, and the Pentecostals love all of those Catholics? One liar in the bunch. I appreciate that. No. You grew up in a church that taught you that the way that we do it is right. Correct? Which is another way of saying that the way that they do it is... There you go, right? And so in this series, the goal for us is to talk about this. Why are there so many different ways of doing church? And is anyone right? And is anyone wrong? Okay? And, and in this process... What can we learn? And so, uh, for me, the image I got, it's like being at the airport. And sometimes there's a person who has a very ugly bag. I'm not sure if that's you, okay? But sometimes it's an old bag. Sometimes your bag broke, and so you had to put things in a, in a trash bag. Sometimes you have a hot pink bag, okay? And the idea is that, like, when, when the luggage comes out, there are people who see their bag and just wait. And the idea is if I just wait long enough for it to go around, everyone else will leave, and then I can grab my bag when no one's looking because I'm ashamed of it. There are forms of Christianity that we have been taught to be ashamed of, meaning there are forms of Christianity that we've been taught not to claim. They're not really Christians, okay? Or they're just barely Christians. How about that, right? That's more accurate. And so for us, the, the goal in this series is, is to learn how to claim all of the different forms um, of our faith, to go claim the forms that maybe even don't look good, maybe might be a little bit embarrassing. Uh, last week, we talked about the charismatics. I grew up charismatic, okay, so I can talk about charismatics because, you know, I was one, I am one. And so in that, there are so many things about the charismatic expression that are not, that can be a little bit embarrassing to carry that bag around. You can do a little bit of this when you're walking around because it can get crazy, it can get fake, it can get way out of hand, and it can have the worst theology of the entire church. But there are things that they bring that we need to carry with us, right? There is an emphasis on the power of God, a personal experience with God that we have to bring with us. And so we talked about this with them. And so the goal is, is to marry, to, to find the right uh, dance partner to kind of balance us out. And so we talked about the charismatics. If we could find one group to dance with them, to level them out, it would be the monastics, okay? So think like monks, right? People who are slow and calm. And the idea was to marry people who find God in the ecstatic, right? Energy and noise and the music and the goosebumps, right? The holy goosies. Okay, you guys are Baptists then. All right. But I was taught God's not in the room until the goosebumps come. And then God's in the room. Or the AC's very low. I'm not sure right? It's the same thing. And, and so anyways, and if you can marry that with people who are taught to find God in the quiet, in the silence, 
in the monastic movement, they're taught to find God in the ordinary. Whereas in the charismatic, it's finding God in the extraordinary, right? In the signs and the wonders. And the, and the point is this, is that God is to be found in both. And we need to claim the baggage and the good in both, right? So this morning, we're going to talk about maybe the biggest uh, branch or movement that we'll cover uh, in this series. We're going to talk about evangelical. What comes to mind when you hear the word evangelical? Come on, holler or something. Actually, no, don't. Actually, don't. Okay, because <laughs> we don't want to offend people yet. Let me offend people. I don't want you to offend people. How about that? Okay, so this term has come to mean all sorts of different things. In the last two years, uh, obviously, this term has become uh, more political than spiritual. It's more political than theological. It's more political than Christian, okay? And so this morning as we talk about this term, I want to talk about more or less what this term was intended to mean, what it meant in its birth. And so, uh, if you guys have your Bibles, go to Mark 16. Mark 16. What's interesting about the Gospels, which I love so much about them, is how different they are. To me, it kind of funnels right into this, uh, this topic we're talking about in this series. It, it, the Gospels tend to bring you the same content, but from completely different angles. And when they do that, if you don't know any better, you would think they're contradicting themselves. They're bringing you uh, different stories. So what we're going to read here is a passage that is the same passage which you just read from Matthew, but some of the words are going to be different. So Mark 16, verse 15. Uh, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. Now, this is the same passage that we just read from Matthew. But if you notice, there are some words that are different. In, in, uh, in verse 15, there's a word that's used. It says, to go proclaim the gospel. Who knows what the Latin word for gospel is? No nerds. That's okay. What? We're going to talk about this word. It is... The Latin word for, uh, for gospel, for good news, it starts with an E, evangelion, evangelion. Exciting word? Evangelion, okay? And so with this word, okay, it was meant to be used to proclaim a victory of, a, of like a, a war. Like, you know, so the way it's used in the Roman Empire is when Caesar, when a general or Caesar would come through with their soldiers after they had, they had a victory, they would send out the messengers ahead of them. They'd go to all the towns and they would say, here, here, the good news that Rome has triumphed, that Caesar has won his battle, okay? And so this is the same word that the Christians stole, and they co-opted, meaning to give something a new meaning, right? To take something that was used for one thing and to use it for something new. This word for good news, which was specifically good news, which was bad news for some people, because, okay, if it's good news that one army won, it's bad news to the people who lost, correct? Okay, so it's only good news to who's on the winning side, which is much more of of like what has been used today. But at this time, the way Christians used it was different. Behold the good news that God has defeated death without violence. That a a battle has been won, and the way that it's been won is through sacrifice, not through killing. Think about how powerful that would be. Every time that you ever heard good news, it was a soldier 
on a horse with a shield and a sword, a sign of power and force. And they would come and tell you, guess what? We won. But now, every time you hear this term, it's being shared by someone on foot. Someone who more than likely is poor or ordinary. Someone who doesn't carry power or force, position. All they carry is a message. And this message was this, that Jesus has overcome all things through sacrifice. Jesus has won all the victories. He is king, not Caesar, because he didn't win through might or force, but through sacrificing his love. There is a new way. And this good news is good news for everyone. This is the root of what this word evangelical is. To be an evangelical is this, to believe that the Christian faith centers on sharing the message of what happened in Jesus on the cross. That the central thing of being a Christian is to spread this news that is good to everyone. This is the heart of what it meant to be an evangelical. Now, is this anything like the kind of evangelical faith which you experienced as a child? Anyone? Okay. It probably sounded like this. Do you know where you would be if you got hit by a vehicle when you left this church? What would happen to you if you left those doors and you got hit by a bus? What would happen to you right now? Have you heard that before? Okay. Same thing, kind of. So the, the, the people I think about, when I think about this movement, the, the good leaders of this movement, Billy Graham. Anyone heard that name? Okay. He's not a perfect man. But a lot of what he did in his ministry was very, very powerful and effective. And one of the things he did here in the States and in Europe was he pioneered a message that Christianity was about an individual and their eternal future. Meaning that the news is, is about Jesus, and anyone who receives it will be saved. Anyone who does it will be what? Condemned. So the evangelical movement also talks a lot about heaven, but they also talk a lot about the other H. What's the other H? Hell. Pretty great. So, in this movement, there is a focus on the individual person, okay, and on their eternal future, okay? Beyond this life, what is going to happen to you? And that's the focus of this movement. Now, there are some strengths in this, okay? A strength in this is this. We need to have reminders that there is a life after this life. Okay, if you go through your average week, how often do you think about what will happen after you die? Now, if you think a lot about that, you might need counseling. Okay, that's okay. But the average human being gets consumed with the moment, right? With the present. You get consumed with work, with bills, with the lake, with fun stuff, with family. And again, it can be, these things can be good or bad things. But you as a human will typically be consumed with whatever is right in front of your face. Whatever is here is what you're going to think about. The problem with eternity is what? You can't see it. You can't touch it. It's hard to think about. The only times that you really are reminded about it is either one, a funeral, or two, there's really, really scary um, medication commercials on TV. You know what I'm talking about? I was with my kids at the swing, and I felt a pain in my side, and then I had cancer, and then they, you know, I mean, it's terrible, right? And I thought about I'd be taken from my family. Those are the moments that you think about it, correct? The commercials funerals. 
which are probably the two things you avoid a lot, right? Let's just be honest, correct? When that commercial comes on, flip that. We're going to fast forward through that one. Eternity is not something we want to be reminded of because we have no control over what comes after this life. We can, we can be the most powerful, influential, uh, intelligent, successful uh, people in this life and have no control over the next life. It's a scary thing for a human to, to focus on anything outside of their control. And so a, a, a powerful point about this movement is that they continually want to put in your face the things that you want to avoid. There is life after this life. Are you ready for it? Have you prepared for it? The second thing they've done is they focus on individuals. To them, the gospel was a personal message. What's interesting about this is that in the first church, when they brought this message to people, it was a message for the world. See, these were Jews who were carrying the message at the, at, in, in the beginning. And the way that Jews understood salvation was is holistic. It was communal, meaning it was Israel who was going to be saved, correct? It wasn't just the Jew. It was Israel. And so when they brought this good news, they're bringing good news that, that guess what? The new people of God are going to be saved, that Gentiles will be saved, that huge communities, that large groups of people were going to be saved. In the Old Testament, when, there are, when they talk about sin and the, and the prophets would prophesy about sin, they weren't prophesying about individual people. They're prophesying about nations. And so for them, the, God, the good news was for everyone because it was about huge groups of people. Everyone is in on this. God is going to take the salvation of Israel and open it up for all the other nations of the world. And so when they say every tribe and every tongue, they mean that because they're talking about they see salvation in a large, holistic way. Now, as, as important as that is, this movement has taught us that individuals have a say also. That even though God is at work to reconcile all of creation, that you have to choose to be a part of it. Think about that. That's something that most of us kind of take for granted. The gospel that you were taught, most of you, were taught to say a prayer. Who here was saved by saying a prayer? Anybody? Okay. Did you know that there are more Christians on this planet who are saved without saying a prayer than ones who have been? Do you know there's more Christians who are saved by baptism than by saying a prayer? You were saved by a prayer because of a movement that told you that it's your individual choice to be saved. And the way that you're going to be saved is to say a prayer and to ask Jesus into your heart, right? going to fit right there in my little heart. We're going to close the door. I don't want to pick on him too much. Okay. Even though there are some weaknesses in their approach, the one thing, the reason this bag, the evangelical bag. The reason that we have to pick it up, and right now this name and title has more baggage and more junk and gunk and, and embarrassing things on it than it ever has in all of history. We have to carry it with us because there's something we still need. We need a reminder constantly of eternity. We need to remember that our choices matter. See, it, it was a new thing for someone to come to you as an individual and say, hey, do you want to receive Jesus? Do you want to be a part in what God is doing in all of the cosmos? Do you want him to include you in it? 
Now, there are some downsides to this approach. Ah, mercy, I have to be nice because I, I have to be fair to everyone. So again, if you think I'm unfair, I will pick on everyone and I'll also uh, encourage and exhort everyone, okay? It's fair, all right? I picked on the charismatics last week. It's time for the uh, evangelicals this week. Here are some downsides. If you want to start in Genesis, when God says, go and fill the world, which it was code for go and make babies, okay? This is the Christian approach to going and making babies. Sounds exciting, right? Imagine if I told you, God wants you to go make as many babies as possible, and you're not responsible to raise them. Go and have kids. It's a very different thing than saying, go and raise families. Do you see the difference here? Now, see, what's interesting between Mark and Matthew is Mark says, go and take the good news to all the ends of the earth, meaning your responsibility is just to tell them the good news. Give them a chance to be a part of it. But Matthew says, go to all the ends of the earth and what? Make disciples. Raise these children. The weakness of this movement is it placed all of the emphasis on getting them saved. Just getting them in the door. Just having babies. We want you to be spiritually born. That's awesome. And it sounds really good. Well, of course that matters. Because if your movement focuses all on eternity and heaven and hell, then all you care about is what happens after this life. This life isn't as important. What matters is going to heaven or hell. So let's just get you whatever we got to do to make sure that whenever you open your eyes on the other side, that you are not on fire, that you are in a nicely uh, well uh, air-conditioned room in heaven. That's the goal. But what happens when you have people who are really good at making babies, but not at raising them? I don't want you to point at people. But there are people who are not great parents. <laughs> just saying. There are people who are not great parents, all right? I would love to wish that everyone is just amazing parents. But it is a very cruel thing to have a child and to not be there to raise it. It is not love at all. To have a child and then to abandon it, to have a child and to even just to allow it to stay a child, to, to not mature it, to not grow it, to not even challenge it, to not teach it to walk or to talk, to leave a child as a child. Have you ever seen a child who's like five, six, seven, and who can't speak, who can't interact with the kids around it? There is a, a sadness in this. And there are some times when this is the cause of uh, maybe autism or something like that, or some kind of illness or syndrome. But I've actually been involved with families who the, these children were, were, you know, this tall walking around, and they could not talk. They couldn't interact. They could not bathe themselves. Couldn't, you know, they still wore diapers. And it's because the parents were not there to intentionally mature these children. Now, I've been pastoring for a while, and even though I'm still a young pastor, I feel like a very old pastor. And here's why. Because I pastor in evangelical circles where we are great at making babies, but we're not good at raising them. Most, uh, I don't want to be nice. I'll say this. Physical age has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. I tell you that right now. 
How many years you've been saved in the church has nothing to do with your maturity. Some of the biggest spiritual babies I've ever pastored or some of the older spiritual babies I've ever pastored in my life has nothing to do with your age. And the reason that being a pastor in this circle is very difficult is because we have no concern for growing and maturing. We say we do. We give it lip service. But our focus is, I just need them to say a prayer. So if this movement has a dance, now I will not do this dance this morning, okay? But it's more of a moonwalk. Just envision it. It's more of a moonwalk. I'm not going to do it. I used to do it. Leave me alone. It's more a... No. You're going to be disappointed this morning. I'm preaching the Word of God. (laughs) Quit distracting me. It's more peacocking, okay? Because it is a dance that is about bringing attention to the individual. Okay? When you moonwalk, you don't do that with other people. Correct? There was a time in my life where I loved the spotlight (laughs) for other reasons. And I used to love to dance and to get all the attention on me. I am still a terrible dance partner. Proof? So the evangelical dance, it's a solo dance because it's all about you. And because of that, because of this emphasis on the individual, as important as it is, it raises a, 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 a spiritual baby that learns all I need to do is say the prayer, and that's it. And so we have hundreds of thousands of people who claim to be Christians, who have said a prayer, who had an emotional moment where they felt convicted or they felt excited, and they said a prayer, but the rest of, the, of their life looks nothing like Jesus. The cross and the church have nothing to do in their life. Their choices and decisions are not affected by the cross. Their life does not look like Jesus. And if we would marry them to a dance partner who's going to help them get balance and and find health, we're going to marry them to the Anabaptists. Who knows what Anabaptist is at all? That's okay. If there's any movement which is my favorite, if I had to pick one movement, it would be the Anabaptists. Here's why. They have one central tenet to be like Jesus. If the evangelical church is born in in the gospel of Mark, we have to get the gospel out. The Anabaptists are born in Matthew. We have to be, we have to be disciples. We have to learn to imitate Christ. We need to marry these two. There's not any question that we need to be active and passionate to bring people into the spiritual family of God. But what is the goal? What does it matter if we bring them into a spiritual family of God where everyone is in diapers? Okay, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this vision before. There are some daycares which are less than stellar, okay? And if you ever walked into a room, say, 15 one-year-olds, and there's one adult who is on their phone. What do you think that you're going to see? Because when you're one, you're really good at sharing. Fighting, biting, poop. How about that? 
nakedness, <laughs> screaming, injuries, blood. <laughs> it's going to be awful, right? This, hey, you should come to our church. It's like a bunch of infants. We're awesome. We fight all the time. We poop our pants all the time. We tell people to wipe our butts for us. It's awesome. Come to Grace Church. Come be a spiritual infant with us, right? And so the Anabaptists are more of ballroom dancers. It's more of a, a salsa. How about that? There's lifts, right? It has to be assistance. There has to be, you have to be in step. It's all about the other. If, if, if the evangelical movement is all about you and you getting saved, the Anabaptist movement is all about how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can, if, to be an evangelical and to get saved means that I believe that Jesus is my Savior. To be an Anabaptist and to be saved means that I practice that Jesus is my Lord. How can we marry these? Imagine if we took the urgency, the urgency that eternity is real, that, that we could be done with this world in an instant, that our choices matter, that eternity matters. Imagine if we could take the emphasis, the energy, the urgency, and we could pair it with a focus on being Christ-like, growing up, mature, to be saved is to give your life to being like Christ, meaning to love God with all your heart is to learn to love your neighbor. Imagine if we could marry those. It's always an interesting thing to drive to church on a Sunday morning to see how many cars are still at home. And I guarantee you, okay, I'll say this. Uh, we have the neighborhood over here, okay? And so when you're driving to church, you know, you pass all these, these, these homes. I guarantee you that the majority of those homes, I would say 70% of the people who stayed home this morning have all said a sinner's prayer somewhere in Arkansas. The majority of them believe that when they die that they will go to heaven because that is the gospel they were given. All you need is one minute of being sincere to make your commitment and you're good. I sure hope that we don't teach marriage that way here at Grace Church. So if you want to get married, all I need you to do is be completely sincere for five minutes when I'm up here, when I'm giving the sermon. I want you to really mean it in your heart. I want you to feel it. I want tears. But then you can leave and go do whatever you want. That's the secret to a happy marriage. How would that work out? No, 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 no. Here's the truth. This up here, your vows, this is a promise of what you're going to have to keep. This is just where it begins. Now you start the journey of following Jesus. This is not the end of anything up here. This is the beginning of the rest of your new life. Are you willing to keep the vows you made every morning you wake up to Jesus? This is the marriage we need between the evangelical church and the Anabaptist church. To have the urgency that eternity is real, that our choices matter in this life, that we don't have time to waste. We have to choose to follow Jesus, to mature, to grow, to deal with our weaknesses and our areas of sin, to, to learn to give more of ourselves to Christ. We have to do that right now. Because the goal of being a follower of Jesus, the fruit, the proof that I am truly a follower of Jesus is that I begin to change and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. 
I begin to function and to live my life to imitate Jesus. Not only is Jesus my Savior, Jesus is my Lord. Would you guys stay with me this morning?